Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 24. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Today's episode is a discussion that I recently had with my co-hosts, James Sumners and Sam Dominguez. Today's episode is entitled, Why Christians Must Sacrifice to Help One Another. The Crosstalk Podcast is not a sermon, a Bible class, or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope will inspire you to have similar conversations with people in your life. And now, let's jump right into that discussion. How do we get... How do we help people to understand that Christianity is that the church is not um, it's not a place for consumers. It's a community. And and because we have developed this mindset that we think of the church like we think of McDonald's, you know, and so, you know, I put money in the plate and therefore I expect people to serve me. I expect to be ministered to. In fact, that's how we, quote-unquote, church shop. We, we ask, what ministries does this church offer? And we don't mean, how does this church minister to others? We mean, how will this church minister to me and my family? And how do we help people to understand that that's not Christianity at all? Um, and, and how do we help people to understand that, that when you come into the Lord's church, you're coming into a community that we, we share everything. We, we share when people are in need, but we also share the responsibilities and the burdens. And, and then we even discipline when necessary to say, hey, listen, this isn't going to work the way that you're living. You're going to have to change. You can't live like this and be part of this community because we depend on one another um, because we are so far from that. The way that the, the, we talk about community all the time, but um, the way that most congregations look, um, it's it's the old you know general rule we say you know 90, 90 10 you know that ten percent of the people are doing ninety percent of the work um, and and so we because we've got this mentality that if I'm a member here then you should serve me rather than I'm a member here so that I can serve others. I think it. I think the root problem goes back to our evangelism, and uh, yeah, th- there's room to disagree with me here. I don't think that I've, I'm speaking just the hard line on it, but it, it seems to me that for generations we have been evangelizing people via a, a fear of punishment, and we've been racing them to the waters of baptism as fast as we can possibly convince them to, to uh, put up with it. And we're not making disciples out of people. You know, we're, we're baptizing into the kingdom without having in any time or any way explained to them the responsibilities that comes with it. We don't ask them to count the cost of discipleship anymore. You know, the, a lesson on counting the cost of discipleship is what you preach to 20-year rookies who are out in the pews. You know, we don't, we don't explain that to the people before they make the commitment. Uh, and yet the Scripture speaks directly against that. You know, they, they speak about the, the burden you're heaping on people by dragging them into the kingdom when they're going to fall back away because they weren't ready to make that commitment. I, I mean, even just the idea of, of wording <laughs> salvation in terms of making that commitment to God, you know, it, it's all about, uh, you know, us laying back uh, softly and accepting everything that God does to us rather than it being a, a testimony of I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and thus, you know, all of the ramifications that come with it. Mm-hmm. I think most of our evangelism has been just get you to say those words and worry about the ramifications later, mm-hmm. and, and then we wonder why people don't understand what it is to be transformed and to live kingdom life. Well, they, they were never they were never sold on that part of it. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's that's one thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately is that when you read through the Book of Acts, that 
conversion was not just a change of mind about who God is. It was that, it, but it wasn't just that. And it wasn't it wasn't just going from being lost to being saved. It was a recruitment to a cause. It was a recruitment to a, a movement uh, that was was taking over the world. And and really, you know, you, it, it's amazing how we have, we have so watered down what the gospel is, and we've made Jesus just this personal savior, and we've just made it a philosophy of life. And if you want to accept it, if it works for you, if you like this kind of thing, then we hope you'll accept it kind of thing, rather than Jesus is king of the world, and if you do not bow your knee to him, then he will come in judgment. But what he wants is for you to bow your knee to him and for your life to be transformed and you to be recruited to his cause in order to be a light to the world and the salt of the earth. And and it's amazing how, how dull we've made the gospel, and then we're surprised when we can't convert anybody, and when we do, why they, they just think this is just mundane, uh, because it, we've stopped being a movement. We've stopped saying, this is about changing the world. This is about ending, this is about ending violence. This is about ending crime. This is about ending sin, all through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that as the gospel spreads, we're all transformed by the truth of God's word. And, um, you know, it, 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 anyway, we, the idea of changing myself is not something that we really often really consider as, as Christians. We, we say, okay, so these are the truths and I'm pretty much that person already. So I can accept the gospel because I'm pretty good guy already. So, Hey, this is pretty easy. All I have to do is say, okay, I'm not going to do these things and I'm going to trust in God that everything's going to be okay. And that's, that's somewhat true, but but in the end, as we live, we, we have to examine ourselves and constantly consider, am I doing all things for Christ? Or am I just doing some things for Christ? Do I consider everything I do and do I account for God? Do I consider, as, am, I, am I doing this for God's glory or am I doing this for my vanity? Am I doing this for God's glory or am I just doing this because it's it's fun? Am I what am I doing it and what is the reason for for what I'm doing? And that that's the thing that that I always try to think about is why am I doing this? And and you know, many times I, I find myself after years of doing the same thing over and over again, I realize uh I'm doing this for my vanity's sake, not for the sake of the glory of God. I'm doing this to to feel better about myself rather than actually considering how I could better glorify my Father in Heaven. And going back to something we were talking about before we started recording was that, Sam, you were talking about how a lot of people don't think that God would require anything hard of us. And I think that that, you know, if you want to go off of that, but I think that that plays into this discussion in that we don't think that God would require anything difficult of us for the sake of our brother. You know, and so we're like, well, yeah, that would be great if— you know, if if that brother's burdens were taken care of and his burdens were lifted, but that would require me to do something hard. So I don't think that that's the right answer. Honestly, I think generations of, of living, uh, and, and and this is a, a more of a commentary on on Christians in in the United States, uh, but I, I think it's the type of thing that can exist and does exist worldwide. But you know, in America in particular, you know, we've lived for generations with quote unquote religious freedom. And I, I think we have then developed a whole slew of Christians, generations upon generations of Christians, 
whose mindset is, well, oh, yeah, Christianity is all well and good so long as it's protected by the government mm-hmm. or it's considered good by the government. And as soon as the government decided that Christianity wasn't good, that these people's faith would just vanish, you know, like, like roaches when the lights come on, boom, they're gone. And it, it's one of those things where we've, we've, we've sectioned off everything religious about ourselves to, well, when it's good for me, great, and when it's bad for me, then I get to ignore it. Mm-hmm. And we don't expect not only that God would ask us to do difficult things, but that he would ask us to do life-ending things, that he would ask us to do things that would be wholly detrimental to our physical lives. You know, it's it's the it's the Christian who comes forward and says, well, oh, I, I really wish I could come to service more often, but my job gets in the way. And, and no one wants to be the guy who says, well, then what you really need to do is get a different job. Oh, but that would be really hard, and I've invested so much, and and this and that. And I said, well, no, you, you might actually have to take a job that pays less. You might actually have to take a job that makes you struggle. But what is more important to you? And if we go to the Scripture and we look at it, all we have are examples of Christians being asked, and, and, and the people of God before uh, the kingdom all we have are examples of doing things that are difficult, being asked to do things that are difficult, being asked to do things that are wholly detrimental to your physical life because it demonstrates your commitment to the real life, which is the life after. And it's just, I think, I think a lot of our churches are populated by people who have no understanding of that, and when they are confronted with the idea that to be a mature Christian, to be the person that God wants me to be, I have to start not just making sacrifices, but taking deliberate detrimental actions to my life in a secular sense. We say, well, no, no, God would never ask that of me. Mm-hmm. And and it just makes you wonder, well, have, have you not read anything in the Scripture? Because it's full of examples mm-hmm. of that. Go ahead. I was going to say, even Paul comes to a point in his life where he says i i've asked three times to have this thorn removed whatever that that is as we've talked about before but uh, and yet he still has to face it he still has to deal with it it's in the you you look at uh, prophets like isaiah and elijah and elisha and and uh, you know they they come to points in their life where they're just they they feel alone and they they feel um almost forsaken to a certain degree just because the world is against them and they don't comprehend um you know what whatever but um but that's that is the life that someone who follows christ really does face even though we we don't we don't recognize that and and it's amazing to me how often we ignore what Scripture says about suffering, that that it is good for us to suffer, it is good for us to go through hard times, that, that we have a tendency to think of times of, of peace and, and health and, uh, you know, and ease. We, we think of ease and comfort as being good things. Scripture presents ease and comfort as being spiritually detrimental. And if we're going to live spiritually healthy lives, then we're going to have to face some sort of adversity. We're going to have to face some sort. That doesn't mean we go out and look for it and just be, you know, obnoxious just so that we're persecuted. There's some Christians that do that. But, um, but, but, but we, we, we have to be willing to – I mean, there's opportunities everywhere to give up for the sake of others. I mean, we, we were all presented at Baker Heights 
with that living example a few months ago when three of our members sold everything they had and moved to Africa to start an orphanage. You know, and and most of us look at that and say, wow, that's fantastic. I can't believe that they were willing to do that. I've never seen such a thing. When it's like, well, we really should be seeing such a thing, not necessarily moving to Africa, but we all ought to be saying, what do I have that I can lay down, I can sacrifice uh, for the good of others and the glory of God, but but too often we're, we're more interested in chasing the American dream. But most of us, when we see that kind of example, we think to ourselves, oh, wow, you know, someday I want to get to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, someday I want to be able to do what they did. And but we never ask the follow-on question of, okay, so what are you doing to be ready mm-hmm. to do that? Mm-hmm. Are you taking any steps to be ready? You know, because I can sit back comfortably in my air-conditioned home and say, oh, yeah, one of these days I'd like to be as spiritual as Tommy and Sheila Holmes and Gina Madeley and do these things and leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, well, it's great to want things. What are you doing so that you actually could do that? Because what most of us do is we say, man, I would love to be so spiritual that I could sell my home, and then next week I'm going to take out a 30-year mortgage on a new home. And when somebody then comes to me and says, hey, can you drop everything and move to this place? I'll, well, no, I can't. I've got this 30-year mortgage. And mm-hmm. blah, 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 you know, we, we actively do things that, that restrict us from making those hard decisions. And, and the, really the thing that probably sticks in most of our minds is the idea that, okay, but what if I lived that kind of a life and never got an opportunity to do it? Well, then I've just wasted all that. You know, I, I didn't go get a nicer home because I wanted to be in a position where I could drop my house at a moment's notice, but then I never had the opportunity. I never had the ability to actually act on that. Well, look at all that waste that happened. And we fail to realize that living a life of preparation to do good is a good unto itself. Mm-hmm. Those are that's that's the fruit of the spirit is the daily mundane acts of obedience and being ready for those big things. You mm-hmm. know, how do we get ready for a time when evangelism is declared illegal? Well, if we're not bold in the little things now, we're certainly not going to be bold in the big things when it counts. You know, how do you prepare for it? Well, you prepare by trusting God now. How can you be sure you're going to trust God in the future when things are harder? You do so by trusting God now. And what most of us find is that in these times of comfort, in these times of ease, where it becomes really difficult to tell the difference between the man who's trusting in God and the man who's trusting in his paycheck, that we find that we have fallen into being the one who trusts in ourselves. We trust in our work ethic. We trust in our government. We work and we trust in our job and our paycheck. And then the hard time comes and we realize I'm entirely out of practice in trusting God. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and sometimes those those opportunities are are not these big you know these big huge things and they're they're just little bitty things they're you know they're they're taking care of you know the the single mom that that's at church and trying her best to take care of a little boy i mean what if what if people looked for those types of people in their congregations and they said you know what i'm going to take that family under my wing and i'm going to i'm going to give them the best you know every time they have a birthday every time christmas rolls around every time whatever i'm going to i'm going to be their adopted aunt and uncle you know whatever i mean they can make a huge impact on that one life or you know adopting a kid or taking in a foster kid or whatever god has given you the 
the ability and the opportunity to do, take advantage of those opportunities, even if they're not these, you know, sell everything and move to Africa, Africa kind of a thing. I mean, that's that's awesome. But but if we all did that, then there'd be nobody here, you know. And so there, there, there's these daily type of things that just come up. And if we have prepared our heart and mind and finances, uh, we can we can gladly and, and joyfully do that in the moment. And that's really a lot of what it comes down to is preparing today for what might possibly come tomorrow. I, if I'm, if I really care enough, if it's really important to me that someday I, I am capable of facing a giant, as it were, um, I need to be able to face a roach today. You know, I mean, maybe that's ridiculous, but, but if I'm going to be able to face something really big I have to be able to face something that makes me uncomfortable today, but I don't say anything about. And and how ridiculous is it that we think that's difficult? That we allow the things that make us uncomfortable prevent us from speaking the word um, as if we don't have a God of power, as if we don't have a God... Uh, who not only is just to in the world, but is merciful to those who follow him. Uh, he expects justice from us, and he also gives us mercy. But and yet, we don't really trust that he does all these things. We don't. I mean, what, does it not just come down to him more of a do we trust God? Do we trust God, or do we trust ourselves? Do we trust what he's what he's already shown he can do, what he's shown that he's done, just because I don't see a physical manifestation of God's spiritual power today doesn't mean like every Israelite between Moses Moses and uh, Elisha, like how much, how many miracles did they get to see? How often did they get to see the, the, the parting of, the, uh, of, of seas and, and all these wonderful things? Well, we don't really have a lot recorded of that kind of stuff, but those... And there were people who struggled with their faith during those times, but we have to choose today to trust in God. And that's, I mean, that's at least, a, that's the that's the start. That's the, the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe we need to get in the habit of testing God in the one sense that we've been told that we can test him. And that's when he says, see if I don't provide for you. And, you know, I was just considering my own statement that we go through these good times and it becomes hard to tell the difference between the man who trusts in God and the one who trusts in himself. Well, that wouldn't be so hard to see even in the good times if the man who trusted God was then saying, in the good time, now is the time to go for it. Now is the time to reach. Now is the time to push. I'm comfortable. Let me push myself to the point of discomfort because I trust that God will will take care of me, will take up the slack, you know. But too many of us, our mindset about seeing the needs of other people is, well, that's why I give money to the church, Mm -hmm. is to do all of these things. And we look at need and we say, well, somebody ought to, Mm -hmm. or the church ought to, you know. You know, we talk about our sports team and it's we this and we that. And when we talk about the things that the church ought to be doing, it's always they, 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 somebody, they ought to be doing, you know. And we, we love to soak ourselves and attach ourselves into effort that's not ours and then distinction ourselves being able to say, well, that, that's not a work that's required of me. And it's utter nonsense. That is your work. That's why you're here. But too many of us 
take the time of comfort to be the time, well, now's when I'm going to kick back. And in a time of crisis, don't worry, you can trust the fact that I've got this. Utter nonsense. In the time of comfort, reach out, push it, push it, because God says that he will cover the slack. What does Jesus say about the uh, the man who uh, sees his barns are too small and, and uh, he has a great harvest? He fills it and uh, eats, drinks, and is merry and doesn't realize that the next day he's He's, he's gone, and he, you build up all of this, and as you were saying earlier, we build it all up, and then we don't do anything to glorify God, and what does that get us? Just a, a, a grave with with uh, nice words at the end. And, well, and they, I think they that... They put nice words on even people who don't deserve it, so I'm not sure that's anything to be proud that's, of. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's what I'm saying. Is you, don't, you don't get anything. There's nothing great about it. It's... It's an end with with a, a simple statement, and that's it. That that has no glory, has no meaning, has no. It does nothing for you in the end. Anyway, and and I think that we we don't we don't recognize the sinfulness of that. We don't recognize the sinfulness of hoarding our wealth. We don't ha- we don't recognize the sinfulness of hoarding the light, hoarding our good works. Um, for me to sit at ease and have the the energy the time the money whatever it doesn't have to just be money but for me to hoard what the blessings that god has given me and not to share them with others that is a sin and we don't we don't rebuke that sin we don't admonish that sin we don't say listen church it's our responsibility to do good to each other especially to the household of faith but also to all men and if we're not doing that if we're hoarding it and we're saying well god gave me this so that i could be comfortable god gave me this so that i could i could relax so that I could build bigger barns and I could eat, drink, and be merry. And it's like, no, that's the very opposite of what he gave that to you for. In fact, Paul tells people who used to be thieves, he says, steal no longer, but instead work hard with your hands so that you will have plenty and be able to share with others who are in need. And so our job, when we go to work and we work a job and we bring home a paycheck, our paycheck is not just for me and my family, but it's also for anyone else that I find that God puts in my path that is in a need that that I have the ability to help them. And man, that's humbling. Uh, but, but all of this, you know, coming back to our main idea of, you know, of realizing that Christianity isn't just about don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and believe this. It's about who we're supposed to be as a community and and who we're supposed to be as a people. And sometimes we, I, I think it comes back to like what you said in the beginning, Sam, about our evangelism efforts. That we have to realize that that being a becoming a Christian is about becoming a part of something. Um, and and part of the problem is that we don't tell them that. On the, on the front end, but part of it is the fact that we're not being that people that we're supposed to be, and it's not just about coming to worship once a week. It is that. I'm not saying it, it's not that, but it's more than that. It is being a community that, that truly has all things in common. In our greatest wealth, you know, we talk about giving of our wealth, but what is our greatest wealth? The one thing that we've been given that, that uh, only God can take from us, and that's our salvation. How can we not Take, how can we hoard that to ourselves? How can we not consider that of a greater value than the, the, the wealth that is produced from our jobs? I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of this. Uh, I, do I really consider the gospel, the word of God, made known to man a greater value than the income I make? 
Is is do I really believe that? And well, the world would be perfectly satisfied if all we did was hand out food and clothes. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's incorrect to try and flip that on its head and say, well, okay, well, then we have no obligation to do good for the world, but we're going right. to preach and we're going to condemn and all right. that kind of stuff. But no, it, it is all of these are part and parcel. Well, mm-hmm. what is the Christian supposed to do? Aren't you, you know, the world would look at us, well, aren't you guys just supposed to be doing good? Yes, but we're also supposed to be preaching the gospel. The mm-hmm. two are inseparable. Mm-hmm. And the greatest good we can do anybody mm-hmm. is by sharing the gospel with Amen. them. But if we share the gospel, what we are saying is, Come into the kingdom. Be my fellow heir to the kingdom. Be my brother. Be my sister. And thus what I have is yours. You know, I mean, talk about you know, self-criticism of evangelism. How, when was the last time you, you spoke the gospel to someone with the intent of, and I want you to have what I have, mm-hmm. physical blessings, mm-hmm. you know? Most of the time it's, well, we can bring you in and find somebody who can help you, or we can do this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and somebody else can do this kind of thing. And so many times we try and institutionalize the good that we do, and, and in, in the end, we, we, we even prejudice our, ourselves against the small amounts of good that we can do. You know, we, we look at, well, this one brother, he had enough... Uh, income that he could build a spare room in the back of his house and so when preachers come through or missionaries come through they have a place to stay and everything like that why would I ever invite them to stay with me all I could do is give them the bottom half of the kids bunk bed kind of a thing well what I could do is nothing they should go stay with the wealthy brother who has the spare room and we disdain those Mm -hmm. small gifts you know why? Why should I ask him to come over? I can't. I can't feed him lunch at a nice restaurant in town or even a cheap restaurant in town. All I could do is have him come over and share a portion of my meal. Mm-hmm. Why would I do that? That's not good enough. And we've we've almost built into the message the idea that, well, sooner or later you'll be blessed to where you are good enough to do these kinds of things. And we disdain those little gifts mm-hmm. of humble obedience, that in truth are probably more what God wants than saying, I'm going to hoard up what I have so that I can build an extra room and, mm-hmm. and support the preacher who comes into town. You know, you know. going back to what y'all were saying earlier about, about sharing the gospel with people, you think, I mean, I, I just thinking of real life people, and you know, you think, okay, so here's a single mom out there, and she's got five kids, and you know, by three different men, and I mean, this is real life. I mean, you could go two or three houses from this building right now and find that kind of a scenario. And, um, you know, you, you have a, a mom like that. What she really needs to hear is the gospel. I mean, she she needs to understand that her sin has caused a very difficult situation for her, but she doesn't just need condemnation. She needs forgiveness, and then she needs to come into a family who is going to help her raise her children. And, and we don't want that. We want to just look at her and say, you're wrong for having slept around. You're wrong for having had three husbands. You're wrong for what you've done. Um, and, and you know, he, we, we want you to be baptized, but then good luck. You know, we're going to straighten you out and teach you the truth, and then we're going to expect you to make it on your own. And that's, that's not the good news. The good news is, you know, and I, when you were saying all that, it reminded me of Lydia and of course, she was talking to Paul, but she said, you know, if you consider me a believer, then what I have is yours, and you need to come and stay at my house. And so that 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 is how, 
the the kingdom works. That is, you're recruited into the cause, and so your needs become my needs, your blessings become my blessings. We we share all things in common. Yes, you're still the steward of it. It's not a it's not a uh, communistic socialistic type of a situation where everybody puts everything they have in a pot, but. We really ought to treat it like we have all things in common, and we say, you know, come into the kingdom, and if you're willing to. Now, there also has to be that other side of discipline. It has to be that if you're not willing to be a part of this, if you're still going to live in sin— you you can't we can't we can't enable you to live in sin period end of sentence you know i mean we cannot do that but if you're willing to forsake the world and you're willing to come in here we're willing to make you like our own flesh and blood we will treat you just like our own flesh and blood and we we often expect of the world um, an understanding of morality and god godliness that a christian should have mm-hmm. and that's ridiculous that's uh, if if they don't if they've never learned if they haven't been taught if they if they don't really understand why 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 would they need to why would they why would we expect the world to to understand ungodliness i mean from the beginning from from cain down cain uh, he he has he he, he doesn't uh, seek to glorify god but himself and his face is cast down and and, and from that point on you have uh, we have people who, even from Adam and Eve, who who are choosing to to follow their own desires rather than than God. And but my my point is, when when people are outside the body of of Christ, people are out, outside faithfulness to God. Why should we expect of them faithfulness to God, faithful acts and attitude uh, behavior? But once we're inside the body, we should we have that expectation that. That we understand how godly people behave, and that 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 causes in us a desire to show how godly people behave. Not that those actions justify us, but that we are showing Christ to the world that that this is how God's people behave. But but we can welcome you in because we were just like that. Mm-hmm. We were sinful. We were godless we were evil vile despicable to god and we deserved everything that we that that was due to us which which is death but now we've been forgiven all of that and and we have to treat the world in that same way well we we don't do these things because they justify us we do these things because we can't help it because we've been transformed mm-hmm. transformed we're different people I don't think that I'm justified by these actions, but these actions are the only thing I know how to do because I've been transformed by the gospel. They show you're justified. And in the end, in the end, it really comes down to what, James, you said earlier, do we trust God? Because there's a lot of people who think that, well, you know, we can't can't teach a gospel of hard work. We can't teach a gospel of God asking us to do what we would consider unreasonable things. No, no, no. That's stuff you hit mature, quote-unquote, mature Christians with. And we don't trust that people will come to the Lord if we tell them the whole truth, if we tell them to count the cost, if we caution them before taking this step. Are you actually committed to this? And we are so untrusting of God's mercy and God's forgiveness that we think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sneak this person in on the technicality of, well, he hit the water, mm-hmm. even though he wasn't ready for this commitment, even though he doesn't understand what he's doing. You know, so it, 
in terms of Christianity being about God asking us to do hard things, it starts at the beginning when we tell people the good news, and then when we're transformed by that good news, and we live a life of doing hard things, and it's a better life. A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McElgay, who helps make this show possible. If you enjoyed the Crosstalk podcast, please consider sharing it with others and leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day. Thank you.